0: a little series of sermons from the book of Hosea, 10th chapter, verses 1 through 4. And we talked about last Sunday, the sins that break God's heart. And um, today I want us to talk about what a broken-hearted God does about sin. And you'll need to um, keep your Bible open on your lap because we're going to make a You know, references back and forth here in this entire prophecy. Hosea 10, verses 1 through 4. Israel is a luxuriant vine. He produces fruit for himself. The more his fruit, the more altars he made. The richer his land, The better He made the sacred pillars, the pagan altars. Their heart is faithless. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their sacred pillars. Surely now they will say, We have no king, for we do not revere the Lord. As for the king, what can He do for us? They speak mere words, with worthless oaths they make covenants. And here's the text. And judgment sprouts like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. And judgment sprouts like poisonous weeds, like hemlock is the King James, in the furrows of the field. Now sinning, um, especially for Christians, but sinning is a lot like um, using a credit card. Everybody's got a credit card and uses it. And uh, sinning is a lot like using a credit card in two ways. In the first place, it seems like that it doesn't cost anything when you use a credit card. We got a saying over at our house, we kind of joke, well, it's not going to cost us anything, we can use our credit card. I mean, it's a whole lot easier to go in a store with a little piece of plastic and put it down and, and buy something because it doesn't seem like it costs you anything. I mean, you're not, you know, it's, it's a lot easier than pulling out a $20 bill or a 10 or whatever. And, and, and consequently, you always buy more than you can afford. you ever notice that? We always buy more than we can afford when we use a credit card. And when the, when the payment comes due, the first response is always the same. There's got to be a mistake here. Hey, this is a mistake. I mean, I didn't spend that much. Now look at this. I mean, Margaret's always calling me at the church. You know, is you sure you uh, spent this much for gasoline? You know, is this a mistake? So it seems like it doesn't cost anything. And 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 secondly, because it doesn't seem like it cost anything, it builds up this psychological barrier that's hard to get past, and, and that is that it it seems like it won't cost anything, that that you won't have to pay for it ever. That's what it kind of seems like. In the 8th chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, verse 11, the preacher says, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are fully given to do evil. You see, unconsciously, we just store up this wrath against the day of wrath. it seems like there won't be a payday, but there is always a payday. I've had evangelists come and preach sermons from my pulpits, and it's one reason I have a little problem with professional evangelists. That's another problem, but they'll talk about, you know, somebody coming to church and and hearing a sermon and, and God killing them on the way home, you know. I mean, just scare the daylights out of you, you know. They hear a sermon and they refuse the Lord and they died in some violent car wreck on the way home. And so here's an old boy and he's thinking, you know, he's saying, uh, well, I'm going to give it, I'm going to gamble, I'm going to try. And so he sins and he waits for the lightning bolt and nothing happens and gives him a little courage to do it again, you know, and he, so he sins and nothing happens. And after a while, he just saying to himself, well, that's all scare tactic anyway. I mean, that's just something that preachers use, you know, it's warning of of judgment. It's just something that preachers use to manipulate and control us. There's nothing to that. And I suppose that if God came down and thumped you on the head every time you sinned, like your mother used to do when you acted up in church, that we'd do a whole lot less sinning. But, But it doesn't work that way. And because the sentence is not executed quickly for an evil deed, Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men are fully given to do evil. And then one day God says, okay, that's enough. And now it's time to pay the bill. And that's what this part of the book of Hosea is about. And Hosea says, Israel is a degenerate vine. It produces fruit unto itself. Now that's not the purpose of a vine. The purpose of a vine is not to produce fruit for itself. The purpose of the vine is to produce fruit for the owner of the vine. So here are these, here's Israel just living to themselves and they'd go on, they're pretty dumb really, and they go on planting and they go on planting and everything is just fine and so they work and they plant and these little plants grow up in the furrows of the field and they think everything is great and then they harvest that plant and all of a sudden it dawns on them that what they have harvested is poisonous weeds. Hemlock is the King James. They plan and they plant and they never consider God and they go on and on and then they reap the harvest and the harvest is death. Now listen to me carefully. What Hosea is saying is this, that sin bears seeds in itself of its own destruction. And we don't have to wait for God to bring judgment upon us, really, as a matter of fact. The sin itself bears seeds of judgment. It bears within itself seeds to its own destruction. So that when a person sows to the wind, he reaps the whirlwind. Now the book of Hosea describes for us four ways in which God's judgment affects us, or in which this judgment is affected. Within itself, I want you to open up your Bible now and get ready. And all of them begins with P, a P, so you can you know remember it easy. Some of us need a lot of help in how to remember you know remembering stuff. First of all, this judgment of God affects us in the realm of our own person, in the physical realm, in the realm of our own person. Chapter thirteen, verses seven and eight. So you turn to that. Verses 7 of 8, chapter 13. So I will be like a lion to them, like a leopard. I will lie in wait by the wayside. I will encounter them like a bear robbed of her cubs, and I will tear open their chests. There I will also devour them like a lioness, as a wild beast would tear them. Now I get get the impression here, God's upset. I mean, that's not... Hard to figure out. Now in other places, God is described in much more pleasant terms. For example, He's called in some places a shepherd, loving His sheep, and sometimes He's called a father, and sometimes He's called a mother, and sometimes He's even referred to as a keeper of the vineyard. But here He's called a lion. And He's called a leopard. And the characteristic of a leopard is is that it crouches and and stalks its prey until it gets exhausted and thirsty from the chase. And, and at the time when it least expected, the leopard leaps out upon its prey. And there's nothing any more violent than a mother bear that's dis- that her cubs are disturbed. And and the only animal that completely devours its prey is a lion. And what he's saying is this, that when God brings judgment, sometimes He brings that judgment in the realm of one's person. I think there's some New Testament evidence for that. I'm thinking this morning of the 11th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians when the Apostle Paul is talking to this carnal church in Corinth. And he says, because of your total disregard to the way God wants you to come to the Lord's table. Some of you are sick and some of you are weak and some of you have fallen asleep. In other words, some of you have died. And what Paul is saying is this, that the reason why you are sick and weak and some of you have died is because you have handled God's word carelessly as to how you come to the Lord's table. In the sixth chapter of that same book, He's talking about fornication, the practice of sex outside of marriage. And he said every other sin takes place outside the body, but this sin takes place inside the body. And I don't know what all that means, but I think it means at least this, that fornication or sex outside of marriage is a different kind of sin, and it affects one, a kind of a hanging on kind of sin. It affects him within this life, this physical life. And he never gets over it and he never forgets it now listen to me for carefully here I'm not trying to say this morning that every time somebody gets sick it's because God's judging them I'm not about to say that I have chronic illness in my own family I'm not about to say that I don't believe that at all that every time sickness comes that it's the judgment of God upon somebody nor am I going to say this morning that because that every time you sin God's going to judge you in the body can't say that but I am going to say that that's one option God has when I was a kid growing up um, my mother get tired of my smart mouth and she'd say okay now it's time for a little spanking I was out visiting Monday night and and I saw this little boy had his he's playing with matches and caught his father's car on fire I I drove up saw this fire there Got got some help, Dennis and I. This this guy was just cool and calm, you know, and just. And I thought, Mom, I was just marvel at how this father was just, just cool and calm, and he took a little boy by the hand. You know, the little boy was just he, he was kind of you know kind of having. A, he said, "Now I'm going to have to take him in there and give him a spanking." I mean, his eyes got that. He said, "Not a spanking." He said, "Oh yeah, I'm going to a spanking." He just calmly walked in the house. The little boy started crying to give him a spanking. The so mother'd say, "Now go get the switch." And uh, so I had to figure it figured out the switch that hurt the least. I mean, you, I mean, it didn't take me long to figure out which, which that was. And so I'd go out and I'd get some of those, uh, we had what called paradise trees. It had a lot of leaves on it. I mean, you couldn't hardly feel it. So I, I'd get that switch and bring it in. And, now, Mother's not a nuclear scientist at all. She wasn't a, a rocket scientist. But she figured out right away that that switch wasn't the one that did the most good. So when she'd say, go get the switch, she'd say, go get the switch off the peach tree. Oh, man, now that'll set you on, that'll wake you up. And so I'd go out and I'd get the switch, a peach tree switch, you know, bring that in. And she'd set my little bare legs on fire. For that, I mean, it was the option, it was her option, really. And she chose the switch that did the most good. I'm telling you that sin is an invasion of the human life. And I am prepared to say this, listen carefully, that what you are spiritually is what you will become physically. Second, God judges us in the area of our possessions. I want you to turn back to chapter 2, and we'll read verses 8 and 9. Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. God judges us in the area of our possessions. Our person, our possessions. For she does not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the new wine and the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they, what, used for Baal, pagan god. Therefore I will take back my grain at harvest time. Look at that. And my new wine in its season. And I will also take away my wool and my flax given to devour them. I want you to get this picture. He said, I've given you corn and wine and physical blessings, material things. What have you done with them? You've made them the occasion of worship, pagan worship. And I've blessed you with an abundance of material prosperity. And has it made you godly, more godly? No, it's made you godless. And you have taken that, those material blessings and you've sacrificed them on the idols of a godless world. that sound like anybody you know? And so God has given us corn and wine and material abundance and luxuries... And He's made us affluent and prosperous and successful. And He has given us all of these material things that we enjoy. Has it made us more godly? Or has it come between us and God? And this is what God says, three things. He said, I'm going to take away those things from you. I'm going to make you, I'm going to break you. I'm going to bankrupt you. I'm going to take back my corn and my wine and my grain at harvest time. Or he said, then, he said, I'm going to make it impossible for you to acquire. He said, your fields are going to be barren. And your, and your sheep are not going to give wool. I'm going to, make you, I'm going to make it impossible for you to acquire anymore. So that you've been a successful businessman, and you do the same old things that you've always done, but your business goes down. And you're a super salesman, and you have all these techniques that enabled you to get ahead in life, and you're going to use the same old techniques, and they're not going to work. When I'm out riding in the car, I like to listen to these talk shows. And there's this radio psychologist. I get my training, you know, from this lady. This guy called in the other day, and he was talking about how the marriage, his marriage had gone down the drain. He was having a hard time in his marriage, and so she started trying to probe and find out what was going on. And, and, and they got back. He said, well, he said, about five years ago, he said, my business just went under. He said, I can't explain it. He said, I'm the same person. He said, I was using the same kind of business practices, using the same kind of techniques. He said, all of a sudden, he said, I couldn't make any money. He said, I'm in debt. He said, my wife is worried about the fact we can't pay our bills. He said, I don't know what happened to us. Now, I can promise you, she didn't give him a religious answer from the book of Hosea. But if she'd been calling into Hosea, this might, what he, might, this might be what he'd said. If you take what I've given you and you use them as an occasion to worship the pagan gods of this land, the bales of this earth, there's coming a time when you'll not be prosperous anymore. And even greater than that, he's saying... Did you notice what he's saying? He said, I'll let you have these things, these material blessings, these, these attendants to life that we, we cherish and love, but they won't bring satisfaction anymore. And you're going to have all these material blessings, but you won't find any joy in them. And you will acquire and acquire, but they won't make you happy and you won't be fulfilled. As a matter of fact, these things that have been the source of blessing and joy to you will be the source of cursing to you. For God judges us in the area of our possessions. Third, God judges us In the area of our posterity. It's T. Posterity with a T and not with a P. I want you to turn to chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. As for Ethereum, their glory will fly away like a bird. Look here no birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Though they bring up their children, yet I will breathe them until not a man is left. Yes, woe to them indeed when I depart from them. Verse 17, my God will cast them away because they've not listened to Him. And they will be wanderers among the nations. Three things He says here. Listen to me carefully. He said, I'm going to refuse you children. And the greatest curse to the Jew was not to have children. He said the children you have are going to live lives of sin that are going to bring, that's going to bring dishonor to their fathers and disgrace to their mothers. And they're going to be like vagabonds who die violent deaths. I'm going to visit your sin upon your children. Now if you've not heard me up to this point I want you to wake up and hear me now. I do not believe that that kind of Old Testament utterance is applicable to us. I do not believe that in this age God visits the sins of the parents upon the children. I do not believe that you can blame your father and your mother for the way you are. Now you say, now wait a minute. How is it that you can come and read an Old Testament passage and say that doesn't apply? Just arbitrarily? You just make that choice? No, not really. If you listen, I want to give you just a quick lesson in hermeneutics. First, when you come to the Old Testament, you need to understand that every statement in the Old Testament is addressed to a particular occasion, to a particular need at a particular time. It has a historical objective and purpose or goal. Second thing you need to remember is that the New Testament is the full and final revelation of God. So that it is the full and final revelation of the Old Testament. We all agree on that. I'm going to shake your head like this. So that the New Testament is the full and final revelation and the Old Testament, every utterance, is directed to a particular time and for a particular reason. So now you ask, How is it that we can determine what is applicable from the Old Testament to the New Testament? This is the way you determine it. When you read in the New Testament and you find the Old Testament teaching reiterated and retaught in the New Testament, then you know that what is taught in the Old Testament is applicable. Let me say that again. When you come to the New Testament and you find there retaught and reiterated a statement from the Old, you know that the Old still applies. For you judge not the New Testament by the Old Testament, you judge the Old Testament by the New Testament. And you don't find anywhere in the New Testament that God visits the sins of the fathers upon the children. As a matter of fact, if you read Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you'll find this statement. Now I'm going to make a new covenant. And in this new covenant, that's the New Testament, in this new covenant, He said, no longer will you say the fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge for everyone will die for his own sin. So what He's saying is that when this new covenant comes, you no longer can blame your fathers and your mothers and no longer will God judge the sins of the fathers in the children. Now listen carefully. What you find when you read the Old Testament is basically applying, is basically talking about physical things in physical terms. As a matter of fact, when you when you read salvation in the Old Testament, it doesn't talk a whole lot about the hereafter. There's very little about the hereafter in the Old Testament. But what you have, even with regard to salvation in the Old Testament, is the return of physical blessing and prosperity, the restoration to physical blessings. But when you get over to the New Testament, the emphasis is upon the spiritual over there, and the hereafter, and the Spirit of God, and the spiritual blessings that come from God. But the Apostle Paul says that everything that's written in the Old Testament is for an example for us to instruct us. So that means this, that I can go back to the physical in the Old Testament and make spiritual a spiritual application. And that's what I want to do right now, if you'll listen to this. I believe that the reason why we have the church that we have I'm talking about the church in the sense of the body of God the, the family of God the reason why we have the church that we have powerless, impotent indifferent cold, hardly making an impact on its society is because of the spiritual backslidden conditions of the fathers that is those who preceded us. Now, I do believe that man, that the fathers can have a physical environment and the children are affected irrevocably by that physical environment. And I believe that the godless model that fathers and mothers live out before their children affects them, and that's incontrovertible. But I also believe that God does not visit the sins of the fathers upon the children. And yet, we are what we are spiritually in the spiritual church because of the indifference and the sins, the backslidden nature of those who are before us. One last thought, please. God judges us in the area of our privilege. Chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. And I will put an end to all her gaiety, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbath, and all her festal assemblies. Now there's something wrong with your heart and your sensitivity this morning. If you can read that and not shudder. You know what God is saying? I'm going to take away your privilege of worship. New moons, Sabbaths, festal assemblies, gaiety and worship. That's what he's talking about. And he said, There's coming a time when you will not have the privilege of worship. I'm going to take away the joy, the privilege of that f- celebration. And no longer can you come into my presence. No longer can you come here with a broken heart and leave with a mended heart. No longer can you come sad and leave glad. No longer can you come with a burden and leave burdenless. You're going to drag yourself to church and you're going to drag yourself away the same way you came because no longer are you going to find me here. Now let me tell you something. I can live with the fact that I might not have a lot of material blessings. And I can live with the fact that I might be sick and weak because I've sinned. And that's a natural consequence. And I can live with that kind of thing. But let me tell you something. It's getting down to nutcracking time when you hear that God is going to take away the privilege of worship. That's the ultimate judgment. And what he's saying is this. Now watch this. He's saying, oh you can come and there'll always be a church house. And you can come there. But there'll be no joy there when you get there. And you'll go through the ritual and you'll go through the farm and you'll go through the, the exercise but nothing will happen. And there'll be no joy and there'll be no gaiety and there'll be no thrill to it. You'll leave empty as empty as when you came. And that, my friends, is a solemn word. Sound like any place you know? And so we grind out the farm and we go through the exercise and we do the ritual. But God is not in there. And there's no joy. And there's no... pleasure. You know why? Listen carefully. There is what is called in theological realms the nature of the payment or the judgment of payments or the law of payments. The law of payments is this. The law of payments is that you get what you want. That's the law of payments. You get what you want. So if you want you drag yourself to church because you feel like you have to, you wish you didn't have to, you won't. And you take a Sunday school class and you teach because somebody makes you feel guilty because you don't, and you wish you didn't have to, you won't. And you give your time and your money because somebody you know, feels, makes you feel like we couldn't go on without it, but you wish you didn't have to give of your time and your money, He's saying, you're going to get what you want. You won't have to anymore. The law of payments. And if you'll read the 15th chapter of the book of Numbers, they were out there wandering around in the wilderness, and they were saying, Lord, we're so tired of manna, we're so tired of quail, we want meat. We want some chili and Mexican food. We'd like some lasagna, like we used to have back there in Egypt. And God said, okay, you want meat? That's what you'll get. And you'll get so much meat... It'll run out your nostrils. You get what you want, and it'll make you sick when you get it. The law of payments. You know what the greatest judgment came to the prodigal son was? You know what his greatest judgment was? He got what he wanted. That was his greatest judgment. And so we live in this land when we wanna we emphasize uh, freedom and and. Uh, Lack of restraint, we want to do our own thing. Let me tell you what we're experiencing in this country. We're getting what we've always wanted. Lack of restraint, freedom to do our own thing. It's the worst thing. It's the law of payments. And so God says, you don't want any more worship? You don't want any more of me? You don't want any more of my word? You just got it, brother. And if you want to read something on your knees sometime, you read the first chapter of the book of Romans. And Paul says three times, and God gave them up, and God gave them up, and God gave them up. To what? To what they wanted. To what they wanted. And in the law of payments, it was the very worst thing they could have gotten. It doesn't have to be like this. As a matter of fact, next Sunday I'm going to talk about the forgiveness of God. But I just want to give a little word of hope before I quit. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. It doesn't have to be like this. Let me tell you something. You don't have to reap from the furrows of life poison and death. Let's pray together. Father, confront us now personally with our need for what from what we would have from what you would have us repent. And out of our sorrow, bondage, and night, let us come to you before the bill is due. Before the account is payable. Before the harvest. Because I pray in Jesus' name. After the service this morning, a little boy came up to me. It's a little lad. He said, Preacher, I want His daddy was with him. He said, I want to talk to you this week. I want to give my heart to Jesus. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning who would like to do that right now. Get up out of his seat and come. Give his heart and life to Jesus Christ. To pray this simple prayer, Lord Jesus, I accept You as my Savior and Lord. And I surrender my life to your control. That's all you must pray if you really mean it. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. And I surrender my life to your control. Just pray that right now if you really mean it. And then step out and come. And just say that to me. I prayed that prayer. Preacher, you told me to pray. Is there somebody here this morning out of the balcony or out of this... Congregation who would like to come and say, Before God calls in the account, I want to get my life right. I want to repent of this life of like a luxuriant vine living for myself. I want to start producing fruit for him. I want to live for him. Are you meaning to come this morning and join the church? God would lead you to place your life here. Out of that sorrow bondage tonight, you'll say, Jesus, I come to you. Would you do it? On the first word while we stand saying, come.